Let's thank all the musicians for just a great, great Easter Sunday. So grateful. And I want to thank you for being here. Uh, just like uh, Pastor Brian, our young adults pastor, he, he's the one that preaches at uh, 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 Flood on Thursday nights, and Pastor Lisa and Pastor Tomiko, just like they were saying, uh, we hope that you feel right at home and just consider yourself a part of the family right off the bat. I always like to say, just consider this a giant family living room, and you've come in on a family reunion, and just consider yourself part of the family right off the bat. If you are visiting we are so honored that you'd spend part of your busy Easter weekend with us. We are so glad uh, that you're here. And uh, I always laugh about what a funny city we live in and what a great city we live in in Pomona. On Thursday afternoon, our Jewish mayor, and our mayor was with us at the 9 o'clock service and kind of gave greetings at the beginning of the 9 o'clock service. So Mayor Rothman, our Jewish mayor, he walks into my office with an 18-pound ham underneath his uh, uh, arm there to give it to me and to our family for the holidays. It just sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it? A Jewish mayor walks into a pastor's office and walk into a bar and uh, got a ham under their arm. But we were so honored to have the mayor with us earlier. But most of all, we want to thank God. Let's thank God for yet another absolutely gorgeous day. We've been doing this outdoors for 18 years, and we've never been rained out yet. Now, I've got to admit, Jared and the 1111 band uh, that plays at 1111 and also Sunday nights and Thursday nights, I was a little disappointed during that song, God's Not Dead. I love that song, but there was no earthquake. You see, a few weeks ago, my wife Kimberly and I were at the movie God's Not Dead, and we were in Chino Hills, so we were fairly uh, close to over in that direction. And so we were at the movie, and it comes to the end of the movie. If you've seen it, it's just a great movie. Newsboys does the song, God's Not Dead. And right at that moment, the La Habra earthquake hit. And it was unbelievable. I'm so dumb, I thought it was part of the movie. I thought it was like Disneyland where they kind of make it roll in some way. And it was just an awesome end. So there were no earthquake during that. But there may be explosions during the message, and I've been asked to tell you, to warn you about this, particularly at noon, they are filming, uh, how many have ever seen Liam Neeson's Taken, the movie Taken? Anybody see Taken? Okay, well there was Taken 1, there was Taken 2, they are filming Taken 3 here at the Fairplex, even as I speak, and they said right around noon, they're going to be doing some explosions, I can't imagine explosions in a Liam Neeson uh, movie, but at any rate, and so those those are explosions connected with the movies. They're not signals that I should wrap up my sermon. That's not why they're there. They're just uh, for that purpose. And so if you hear explosions, you'll know uh, what's going on. How many of you got your income taxes done on time this week? All right, what a relief that is. Uh, one of our guitar players told me a great joke. He said that there was the strongest man at a circus. It was kind of a circus act, the world's strongest man. And what he would do is he would get an audience in front of him. He'd take a lemon and he'd squeeze it as hard as he could, squeeze every drop out of that lemon. And then he would say, I'll give $100 to anybody who can squeeze an additional drop out of that lemon. And all these big muscular people came up, gave it a try, couldn't do it. Finally, one kind of ordinary looking guy comes up and he squeezes six drops out of the lemon. And he says, sir, how did you do that? What line of work are you in that you have such strong hands? Are you a plumber? Are you a contractor? Who do you work for? He says, I work for the IRS, and so just squeeze six drops out of it there. 
Now, if you look on page four in your program there, you'll see the title of our study today is How the Resurrection Changed Everything. And I want to read what's called the Great Commission of Jesus. It's his last words to us. And Chris Britt, the actor, uh, did that at the beginning of our service, and I want to read it now that's there in your study outline. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, shortly after Jesus said those words, Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, an apostle, Peter preached the first sermon ever preached. And 3,000 people in response to his message got baptized that day. And today we're going to recreate that scene from the Bible. As soon as my message is done, we're going to have a closing song. And during that song, if you'd like to be baptized here today, you say, oh, Glenn, I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't prepare for such a thing. Why, why would I do that? Well, if you come down, you come right along this side right here, you go down to that baptism tent, there's a guy's changing area and a gal's changing area. Uh, we have t-shirts, we have shorts, we have towels, and we are going to recreate just what they did in the Bible, where at the end of the service, they came forward and they got baptized. And you can do that here today during the last song. And it's a great day to be baptized. We saw over 50 people get baptized that way at the nine o'clock service. It was, it was just awesome. And and almost all of them hadn't planned on doing it. They show up and they're like, oh, I'm in my Easter dress or I'm in my Easter clothes, clothes or whatever. And we gave them a t-shirt and shorts and a towel and they followed Jesus in baptism just like they did on that first day when the early church was started. It's a great day to get baptized. You know, in the history of the church, particularly in the first centuries of the church, they would often wait until Easter to get baptized. Now, why did they do that? Why did they think Easter was a great day to get baptized. Well, because of verses like Colossians 2, verse 12, that you see there in front of you. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Every time a person is baptized, like they will in these pools right over here, they are preaching an Easter sermon, way more effective than any sermon I could ever preach. Because the Bible says when they go under the water, they are symbolizing Jesus being buried. They're buried with Jesus. When they come back out of the water, they are being raised with him like he was <coughs> on that first Easter Sunday. And so it's a great day in order to be baptized. Now, I always say to people, <coughs> that if you really want to do it right, you'd go under the water on Good Friday, and you wouldn't pop out again until Easter Sunday. Now, nobody's taken me up on it yet, but, uh, but you can do that here today. Now, <coughs> why were they baptized? Why did they get baptized that day? What was Peter preaching that caused them to respond and want to be baptized? He was talking about what's called the gospel. The gospel is an old English word which simply means good news. He was sharing with them the good news. Now, how in the world did a small group of 12 followers. Thank you, Pastor Jay, you are the bomb. All right, thank you. Excuse me while I drink this. Uh, somebody said it's a Mark Rubio moment. Didn't he uh, mess up his political career by taking a drink of water during it? There we go, that, uh, that is so good. Am I making you guys thirsty by drinking in front of you? I apologize. 
uh, Jesus started with just 12 followers, which eventually grew during his three and a half years of teaching ministry. It grew to about 120 people. Now think of that. Jesus himself preaching on earth, his church, his followers, only grew in three and a half years from 12 to about 120 people over the three years that he had his teaching ministry. Then something happened that caused the church to explode. Something happened which caused the number of followers of Christ to literally explode and go all over the world. How in the world did this little group of 12 backwoods peasant Jewish fishermen become the biggest, fastest growing, most widespread movement in world history? You add on top of that, that it was illegal to be a follower of Christ for the first 300 years. Uh, It was punishable by death in many cases. What started this revolution 2,000 years in the making? That's what we at PFB Purpose Church, we like to call it a revolution 2,000 years in the making. What started it? Today, there are 2.3 billion followers of Jesus around the world. One out of three people on planet Earth is a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the fastest growing movement in history. It continues to be the fastest growing movement in the world today. I just read last week, they did a Twitter poll in China. And do you know when they did this Twitter poll in China, Jesus in China is now more popular than Mao. Jesus is more popular than Mao on mainland China. The Church of Jesus Christ speaks more languages than the United Nations. It's in more countries than the United Nations. As an organization, it has fed more hungry people than any other movement in world history. It started more hospitals, more orphanages, more schools. Uh, followers of Christ have freed more slaves. They've defeated more diseases. They've housed and clothed more people than any other movement in history. It's the biggest thing in the history of the planet. How did this thing happen? Jesus never wrote down anything. But there are more books that have been written about him than any other subject in world history. Jesus never wrote any songs, never composed any music. And yet, more music has been written about him than any other person in human history. Jesus never built any buildings, and yet more architecture has been built to honor Jesus than any other subject on planet Earth. Jesus never drew any pictures, never sculpted any statues, and yet more art has been dedicated to him than anything else in all of history. He never traveled more than about 200 miles from his hometown during his earthly ministry. And yet now you can find followers of Jesus in every nook and cranny in the world, every ethnic group, every, every language, every, every tribe, every nation, every ethnicity around the world, you can find followers of Jesus. What happened to launch this worldwide, global, historic phenomenon? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what took place. The resurrection changed everything. And after his resurrection, his followers took this good news to every nook and cranny throughout the entire uh, planet. Now, what makes this good news so good? What's so good about the good news? If you look there on your study outline, you'll see, first of all, I don't have to live with guilt and shame. Romans chapter 4, he was handed over to die because of our sins, because of my sins. And he was raised to life 
to make us, to make you, to make us right with God. We don't have to be afraid of God. We actually can have a friendship with God. Think of that. Because of the resurrection, we can have a friendship, a relationship with the creator God that created all of that that you see in front of you there. Uh, Along with that, I don't have to fear death anymore. They say the number one fear of people is the fear of death. Now, it's almost tied with the fear of public speaking. So that means at many funerals, people would rather be in the casket than talking next to the casket uh, in many cases. But for most people, it's the fear of dying. Jesus conquered death. And because of that, we don't have to fear it anymore. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter said, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories. This follower of Jesus from the beginning, Peter, said we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now within 20 years, historians tell us, there were over 150,000 followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. Within 20 years. Now you say, why is that important? Well, because it was in the place where these events took place, and it was also within 20 years. So most of the people were still alive that had witnessed those particular events. You see, if I want to create a cleverly devised story, if I want to make a legend, you know, Pastor Brian is, we just love Pastor Brian here, and, uh, and we, I, I love him because he's, he's tall and he's bald, and that's, that's the way we like to hire many of our pastors, that's all about. And Pastor Brian, we love him, he, he is the greatest guy, he's been preaching down in Mexico all week, and, and he preaches on Thursday nights with Flood, and he's our young adult pastor, and he's just such a great guy. But if I wanted to create the legend of Brian Holland, if I wanted to tell people he was not just a great guy, but he was Superman, that he flies when he needs to fly, faster than a speeding bullet, I would need two things, miles and years. I would need to create this legend miles from here and years from now. Because anybody, if I were to say to you, oh, he's a, he's a Superman, he can fly, he can do all these great things, you'd say, hey, wait a minute, I know Pastor Bryant, and he's a great guy, but he ain't Superman. And so if it was in the same locality geographically, or if it was in the same time chronologically, you could easily refute that claim. And yet over 150,000 people in the place where the resurrection took place, during the time that it took place, still alive as eyewitnesses, agreed with what was being taught and became followers of Christ as well. Now, how did this happen? It happened because of hundreds of of eyewitnesses. We believe almost a thousand eyewitnesses to what he did. It says in Acts 1 verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. There were 40 days worth of eyewitnesses. Now, if I were to say to you, you know, I saw the queen of England in Pomona last week. You'd say, Glenn, um, you're either mistaken, you thought you saw her but didn't, or you've had your bald head out in the sun too long, or you're hallucinating, or you're lying, because you just wouldn't believe me. But what if instead, over 40 days, there were almost a thousand witnesses to seeing the Queen of England in Pomona? What if I asked for you to give testimony to that? And somebody raised their hand here and said, well, we had dinner with the Queen last night? Or what if somebody said, my wife went shopping with her at Costco uh, just a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was the Queen of England, they went to Nordstrom's. Or I saw the Queen walking her dog 
in downtown Pomona a couple of weeks ago. Or we were just playing cards with her a, a, a few days ago. What if over 40 days, almost a thousand people had those stories? And what if in addition to that, you would rather be killed than to change and deny what you had seen? You'd say, kill me. I will never deny what I've seen. That was the situation with followers of Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12, that is the 12 disciples or apostles. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You see why he puts that in there? Most of these eyewitnesses are still alive when I'm writing this, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, I also saw him. Why is that important? Because Paul, who wrote these words, was a religious terrorist before he met Jesus. He was violently anti-Christian. He hated Christians. He despised Christians. He was hired by the government to stamp out Christianity. He was in the business of killing Christians, imprisoning Christians. He was a man filled with anger and hate. And then he encountered the risen Jesus Christ. And later on in his life, he wrote what we consider to be the most beautiful words ever written about love. It's called the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard it read at a wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't have envy. It keeps no record of wrongs. This man who was filled with hate and anger now became the one, an apostle of love, who loved God and loved others and who was loved by others. This was the power of the resurrection. It leads to the next one. I'm unconditionally loved by God. If it wasn't for this book, the Bible, you wouldn't know that God loves you. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Some family member or some friend invited you or you just saw the material and you came today and you were invited here to look out over all that God has created and to hear these words, God loves you. The most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved me that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We usually stop there. But look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's not a message of fear. It's not a message of hate. It's not a message of anger. It's not even a message of the law. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, follow this list of don'ts. Don't do these things. Do these things. It's a, a message of love. Now, don't get me wrong. If you love God, if you love other people, there are certain things you won't do, and there are certain things you will do. But it is a message of love. Jesus said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus even taught that you're to love your enemies. We're to love people that aren't like us or that we don't like. He said it's a message of love. First John 3, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And the early followers of Christ just kept loving and loving and loving, even though the Roman Empire imprisoned them, even though it killed them, 
even though people persecuted them. They just kept loving and loving and loving until they conquered the greatest empire known to the world until that time, the Roman Empire. It's a message of love. I don't have to live with guilt and shame. I don't have to fear death anymore. I'm unconditionally loved by God. Next page, page five, uh, there in your program. This is one of my favorites. I can live a life of purpose and meaning. This is one of my favorite things that you discover when you follow Jesus. I'm not just a group of random cells experiencing random chance. I'm not just organized dirt that goes through the motions, catches a few good movies, catches a few good parties, goes to Vegas, has fun on a couple of weekends, then I turn into dirt, hopefully produce a few kids that can be organized dirt and random cells experiencing random chance and do the same thing over and over again. When I encounter the risen Jesus Christ, I find, and this is the mission statement of our church, PFB Purpose Church, finding purpose in Christ, in community, for the journey. I find that my life has meaning. It has significance. Your story matters. Every person has a story, and your story is absolutely essential. God's story for the history of humanity, for planet Earth, will not be complete if you don't live your story in connection with His story. It won't be full. There's a line for you to write. There's a line of song for you to sing. You are part of God's master plan. Your life has meaning. It has significance. It has purpose. Your story matters to God. If you turn to the next page in your program, if you turn to page six, just one page over, would you do that? And you look in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see that we're going to be doing this thing next Sunday called The Story. And it's the Bible in story form. It's written, it's actual scripture, but it's written chronologically like a, a novel. And so many people have told us that before the Bible was hard to understand, it was kind of mysterious, they were kind of disconnected from it. And this thing, this resource has just helped people understand the Bible. I've had so many people write to me or email me or say that I, the Bible has just come alive to them through this. And that's what we're doing on Sunday mornings. And, and just like uh, Lisa was saying, hope that you'll come back and be with us uh, next Sunday or, or next uh, uh, for one of these as we teach on this. And then to, to encourage you in that. We've included in your guest bag, you got this coupon. It looks just like this. If you got one of those visitor guest bags, you got this coupon. And if you bring that back one of the next couple of Sundays, you bring it to church, we will give you a free copy of the story. Just bring that coupon back in the next couple of Sundays, and we'll give you a copy of the story. And so many people have said this has just changed their life. It's made the Bible leap off the pages and come alive to them. And the best part of this is that it helps you figure out how your story fits into his story. How your story fits into God's story. Uh, Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, if you insist on saving your life, you'll lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. You know, it's funny, we're going to do baptisms in just a few minutes here. And I always wonder, Lord, why did you pick baptism? I mean, there are a hundred different ways you could show outwardly that you want to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus said you can receive him in the quietness of your heart. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that, just silently, just you and God in just a couple of minutes. You can do it in that way, but he says eventually you got to go public with it. Jesus said, if you own up to me in front of other people, I'll own up to you. But if you're ashamed of me in front of other people, then I won't own up to you at that time. And so he says we're supposed to eventually go public with the fact that we're following after Jesus. But why baptism? Why be dunked in water 
in front of other people. And I think it has to do with this whole example of losing your life, losing your pride, losing your, di- your, your dignity. You know, it's funny, but when you're dunked in water and you're soaking wet, it's a very vulnerable time. I mean, you think I look bald right now? I, I know this is going to be crazy. You should see how bald I look when I'm soaking wet. I mean, you think right now, oh my goodness, he's really bald under there. Were you hoping I had uh, Fabio golden locks underneath there? No, I'm bald as an eagle. Yeah, I'm bald. But when I get soaking wet, I'm especially bald. And I think that's part of what, why he said to be baptized. Because we say, Jesus, I love you so much, I'm willing to look like a fool. Jesus, I love you. I'm so committed to you that I will look, I will humble myself in front of other people. And I think that's one of the reasons why he, he chose baptism. If you insist on saving your life, saving your pride, saving your dignity, saving your own way of doing things, saving your self-centeredness, if you insist on saving your life, you'll lose it. Only those who throw away their dignity, their pride, their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. In Philippians 1 verse 21, Paul writes, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. You know that last year, 21 million people got killed around the world simply for being followers of Jesus. You hardly ever hear about this in the media. Media almost never talks about it. It's the, it's the biggest human rights violation in the world today. Christians being killed simply for following Jesus. 21 million people died this last year simply for following after Jesus. But as they died, they died saying, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. And that leads us to our final one. I can be certain I'm going to heaven. I can know I'm going to heaven. I can have a purpose. I can be free from guilt and shame. I can know that I'm loved and I can be certain I'm going to heaven. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 verse 4, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Boy, the older I get, the more I'm interested in anything that's beyond the reach of change and decay. Uh, You know, um, Blaise Pascal was one of the world's greatest mathematicians. And he became a follower of Christ when he was 31 years old. And he had this thing called Pascal's Wager, in which basically it goes like this. Uh, there, are, there are two options in front of you. And one has very little upside, but a huge downside. That is a, a little bit of reward, but a lot of negative consequence. And the other one has a big upside, big reward, but very little consequence if, 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 if it's not taken. And he applied that mathematical principle, Pascal's Wager, he applied it to spiritual things. And he said, you know what? If you don't believe in God, if if you don't believe there's a God, if you don't follow after Christ, there's very little upside. Maybe you have the satisfaction of you die and we all turn to dirt. won't even have the satisfaction of knowing that you're right after you're dead. It's just very little upside. But oh, if there's a God and we deny his existence and we don't seek to have a relationship with him, if we don't seek after him, if there's someone that created that and we don't take the time and energy to try to know what his purpose is for our lives. There's a huge consequence of that. There's a tremendous downside for that. On the other hand, if I were to die and simply end up, I am random cells 
experiencing random chance. I just turn into the dirt. There's no big loss. I've lived a fairly good life, a happy life, a joyful life, a blessed life. But oh, if it's true, as I believe with all my heart that it is, and all the evidence points in that direction that it is, if it's true, oh, the upside. Oh, the reward there is for making that choice. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. I can be certain I'm going to heaven. Peter writes, we have this priceless inheritance. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. This is your moment. You're not here by accident. God somehow drew you here. Because Easter 2014 is your opportunity to open your heart and become a follower of Jesus Christ. And in that green section that's the upper right-hand part, uh, right next to where we've been studying, there's, it says how to become a follower of Jesus. And then there's a little suggested prayer there at the bottom. And I'm going to pray that prayer out loud. And I invite you to pray it silently as I pray it out loud. Just between you and God, nobody else just between you and God, would you pray this prayer silently as I pray it out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, noon, Easter Sunday, 2014, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we've got an Easter gift we'd love to give to you. As you leave, go out the exits, you'll see a yes to Jesus table. And if you go to that yes to Jesus table, you'll see a packet like this that says, unwrap your gift. And we've got some free gifts, no obligation, no pressure. If you drop by the table, just pick up your free gift and it's got resources to help you in your new friendship with God. And then also, if you'd like to follow Jesus in baptism today, you just simply, during this song that the young ladies are gonna sing, you just walk along here where Pastor Greg is, there he is, very tall, uh, standing right over there, but he is not bald, so he's not fully accepted here on our staff. And there's Pastor Greg. And you just go right across there, right down to the baptism tent, and there's a guy's changing tent and a gal's changing tent. And like I said, we've got T-shirts and shorts and towels. You say, Glenn, this is crazy. I didn't intend to do this when I came here. It's crazy. But remember what Jesus said. He said, if you insist on saving your life, you'll lose it. Only those who throw away their lives, their pride, their dignity, and are embarrassed for my sake, are humble for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, will ever know what it means to really live. So as they sing this song, we invite you to come down and, and, and to be baptized here. God bless you. Have a wonderful Easter. So, so glad that we've been able to spend this time together.